Oh, man. Hey, howdy, hey, theology nerds. Is that our oh. intro? <laughs> no, no, no. We went through this the other day. Uh, that down good theology, remember? That down good? What was it? It was, that was Church's Chicken. Oh, that, that down, was it the down south theology? That, I don't, oh, is it? I'm going to look it up because I. Oh, bring in that down home flavor. Ah, bring in that down home theology. Bonsai theology. Bring in that down home theology. Brought to you by Church's Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> As if we would get sponsored by Kane's first. Except yeah. sponsorship by Kane's first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we want that Christian chicken. None of that Chick-fil-A or churches. I don't know. It tastes better. <laughs> you think it tastes better than Chick-fil-A? Heck yeah. Oof, I'm about to I'm about to disappoint you. Not not that I'm not gonna say Chick-fil-A is the best chicken in the world. Because actually, here's my opinion. Longhorns chicken tenders, by far the best chicken oh, tenders. Oh gosh. No. I'm not even kidding you. I'm not you even go to the steak place and get chicken tenders. I'm not even kidding oh. you. They are the best chicken tenders you will ever have. <laughs> but Canes, listen, Canes, their whole menu is just full of chicken tenders, and they're not even the best chicken tenders. But when mixed with the sauce, whole oh, <laughs> Even gosh. then, one the, the sauce you get this like a little round thing. It's like this this deep, and you have hey, to pay hey, for extra. Triple that, yeah. <laughs> and you have to pay for extra. Oh, but it's delicious and open on Sundays. It is open on Sundays. I'll give you that. Yeah, and what oh, good ministry is closed on Sundays? I said, how well? Tell how me that. How Christian can you be if you're not closed on Sundays? Dude. Obviously. That's that's Every church I've worked, worked at is open on Sundays. Well, I should tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I say that like it's a ton. I've only worked at like three. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for joining us today for this episode of Bonsai Theology. Um, we are finishing up song. We are finishing up Ecclesiastes today. <laughs> um, the first of our wisdom literature uh, podcasts. Yes. And uh, yeah. Um, thank you guys for joining us so far. Um, so we recorded this series ahead of time. And so I'm actually really excited. Tomorrow is the official launch of mm. Bonsai Theology. And I mean, as we're recording this. Let's give ourselves a high five. Yeah. All right. Wow, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we both high fived the wrong side of the screen. Fix okay. <laughs> um, it in post. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so we're, we're so excited to see what ends up happening with this. Um, yeah, as Nathan said in our ad, you know, we're hoping that this will last for a while, a few months, years, centuries, till we're done with Oxford. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, oh, man. yeah. So this is the last episode of our Ecclesiastes series. Yeah, and, uh, and it might be a short one, but it's one I'm, I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, I just realized have... I didn't have my Bible ready, so. Oh, shame. Actually, I, I didn't either. Wow, we are so prepared. Wow. We just, we wing these things, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. By the fact that we're able to read the show notes that are almost word for word what we go over. <laughs> <laughs> wing it. What do you mean almost word for word? It is word for word. <laughs> oh, man. 
Listen, I can barely talk as it is. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> oh, what a lie. That voice crack, holy. Oh, how old are you? 12. You 12? <laughs> yes, all that to say, this might be a shorter episode. All right, so with all that being said, today's episode <laughs> is titled uh, Ecclesiastes in Conversation. So what did you mean by that, Nathan? In conversation with what, you ask? Oh, you just asked. <laughs> You literally just asked. (laughs) Wow, I was not, I was not expecting you to ask. Oh man! Yes, great question. When I when I type Ecclesiastes in conversation, I mean today we're going to look at how uh, Ecclesiastes has some similarities or some affinities, you might say, with uh, with some uh, comedic plays of ancient Greece. Right, that's pretty exciting. Ecclesiastes people see view as uh, dark and nihilistic, and then comedy. They don't seem to go hand in hand, but I'm going to show you they do. That Ecclesiastes is in conversation with the comedians of ancient Greece. That's what I mean. Thank you and for your 2022 Gen Zers. Absolutely. Because <laughs> if you don't think nihilism is funny, you're not on TikTok. You're not on. True. I'm not well, on I'm TikTok. Not, I'm not on TikTok. Yeah. So neither of us are on TikTok, and you you said that joke. So I think nihilism is funny though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right so yeah i guess we can just get into it. all right this is gonna be a chaotic episode i feel like it's, I say gonna, that be, every yeah, time. Yeah, it's gonna be chaotic um i'm gonna uh, this episode is gonna have a lot of reading because i'm gonna read out of ecclesiastes and then i'm gonna read some snippets of ancient greek uh comedy plays Ooh. but i think it is very enlightening and i should i should say this at the start i owe a lot of this to of what i learned about this too it's gonna be um uh, Bima podcast style with uh, his love for Rabbi David Foreman. <laughs> oh, yeah. This episode is sponsored by John Jarek in the book Reading Ecclesiastes Intertextually. It is not sponsored, about... but you can buy the book with our link in yeah. the description. Because <laughs> he talks about what we're talking about today. And it's a really interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, as, as I, as I kind of said, it might sound odd to think of Ecclesiastes as being and you know a, sort of a conversation with comedians and with uh, like the comedy plays of ancient Greece and that's because Ecclesiastes or I guess uh, we've been calling it by the author Kohel or the speaker I should say maybe not the author we don't know <laughs> Kohelet um, you know it's thought to be this this great sage of pessimism of nihilism of skepticism of cynicism and we find that in you know verses like everything is absurd or everything is vapor or breath or futile or vanity or mirage or something like it's all chasing the wind or shepherding shepherding the wind or, or shepherding desire herding cats so that wait what herding cats <laughs> herding yeah. cat yes it's the same it's the same concept it's not worth doing <laughs> But anything, like the message of, of Kohela, anything that could be considered good or considered valuable is ultimately trumped by death. Meaning like you can't take money into the grave. You can't take 
food. You can't take drink with you into the grave. And you can't even take wisdom with you into the grave, uh, which actually is much to the, the distress of Kohelet because he mourns and laments uh, that the same fate uh, that awaits the wise one. Oh, wait. Wow. What am I trying to say? <laughs> Kohelet mourns and laments that the, that the fate that awaits the foolish one is the same fate that awaits the wise one. And ultimately that's just death. They both die off. And you can see that in like Ecclesiastes 2.15 when he says, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. Why then have I become wise? And so just like the fool, the wise will also be quickly forgotten after death. And then, then Kohelet declares his hatred for death, ironically due to the unfairness. Oh no, the hatred of life, sorry. Ironically due to the unfairness of death because wisdom de deserves better, right? And so that doesn't sound like it has the makings of a comedy to me. And so I think this concept of Hebel and Raut Ruach, uh, while very prominent in Ecclesiastes, I think in, in a way it's kind of forced the reader to corner Kohelet into uh, this stereotype of being a prophet of doom and gloom. And we might say that Kohelet is then better thought of as being in conversation with ancient Greek tragedians, which makes for another cool study and is actually a study that, once again, uh, the scholar John Jarek has done. But that's not something that I'll get into today. Maybe down the road we can do a, a blog post on it or something. But I think we must take into consideration that comedy was made to be the dramatic companion to tragedy uh, in the sense that comedy enacts the same themes and the same literary techniques uh, as tragedies. And so through or viewed through this lens, then, I don't think it's so far-fetched to believe that Kohelet has some affinities with ancient Greek comedy. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And so this whole concept of like unfortunate changes of events, I think ultimately that's the makings of a good comedy. And as a side tangent that I'm editing out um, when in Stranger Than Fiction, <laughs> um, it talks about the difference between a tragedy and a comedy being if you die or if you get hitched, you know, mm. like those are the only differences. Yeah. And great that movie. actually did fit in. It is a great movie. Yeah, it did fit in. Watch it. You should I, watch it. I think it's PG-13, mostly appropriate. I don't remember anything yeah. inappropriate. I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember it being a good movie, though. Yeah. Watch it. Your mind will be blown. Will Ferrell is fantastic. Oh, yeah, it is. Anyways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the first uh, comedy writer that I want to compare to Ecclesiastes is a Greek playwright known by the name Menander. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. I could be sounding really dumb right now. But as far as I know, it's pronounced Menander, who was a playwright in Athens, and he was the preeminent writer uh, for what's known, uh, um, or in the area of comedy that's known as new comedy, which were just comedies written between like the fourth and, and the third centuries BCE. And he was, he probably would, uh, would have been born like 340s BCE, died around the 290s BCE. And his stories, while still uh, under the umbrella of new comedy, and he was still a comedy playwright, his stories were on the darker side and featured themes such as rape or prostitution or seduction, which may not uh, be things you think of when you think of comedies, comedies, but nonetheless, he was still like the preeminent writer of new comedy. Yeah. 
And that's something we do see a lot in modern comedy. Like, I mean, there are so many comedians that, or heck, even like uh, Rick and Morty or um, yeah. Bojack Horseman, those types of things where the jokes are in how depressing and nihilistic it is or how wrong it is. Um, and there are so many comedians that like, that's what they are. It's the shock value yeah. of the joke. Not that these comedies were the same as jokes, but... But still a darker side of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's just a little background inform information on Menander. Now we're going to get into the good stuff and start comparing some verses in Ecclesiastes with some lines from uh, plays Menander would have written. And so the first is Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 12, which I just read 9, 11, but I'll read it again just to get, just for the sake of context of verse 12. And that says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And so we take that, just once again, that the whole theme of like time, chance, fate, not knowing when things are going to happen, no one knowing when their hour is going to come. We find a, a play by Menander uh, titled The Shield, in which he actually takes uh, lines from ancient tragedians, from tragedy plays, but he uses them in like a comic pastiche kind of way. And so we have a line uh, such as, there is no man who is happy in all things, or a line of, it's chance, not prudence, that rules the fate of men, or, or uh, disaster disasters strike us unforeseen, so the gods ordain. And so just the whole theme of fate, chance, not knowing when things are going to happen. There's no man who is happy in all things. I think that kind of uh, echoes like the Hevel type aspect of Kohelet. So there's some affinities there. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 1, 2 or 2.17, which is <laughs> the famous uh, everything is meaningless, uh, everything is absurd, everything is vanity, uh, and a play titled Girl Pipers. Uh, Menander writes, chance destroys all logic and runs counter to our expectations, planning other outcomes. Chance makes other efforts futile. And I, I think it's really cool because that word futile is also used in Ecclesiastes or as a translation for Hevel. And I think if you look, I could be wrong, but I think if I remember correctly, if you look at the Septuagint Ecclesiastes, I think those words line up because Men Menander would have been written or would have written in Greek. Mm. So there, there are some more similarities there. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Let me turn there real fast and read that. The two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no, no one to help them up. And so in a play uh, titled The Bad-Tempered Man, after the character uh, was pulled from a well he had fallen into, he said, one mistake perhaps I did make, thought myself alone of all, self-sufficient, never needing anything from anyone. And now I see that death may strike one swift and unpredictable. So I found how wrong I was then. Surely one must always have someone near to help. I think those are some strong similarities between that verse in Ecclesiastes and that passage from Menander. Oh, yeah. Um, switching over to or turning over to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, 
verses one through two. Let me get there real fast. Uh, it says, yeah, one through two, 11, one through two. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And so rabbinic tradition, they take these verses as uh, like stating the importance of circulating one's wealth uh, to ensure uh, charitable giving uh, when one falls in hard times. So keep that in the back of your mind. Here's a, a passage from, once again, the bad-tempered man from Menander, which says, you talk of wealth, a thing on which you can't rely, for if you know that it will stay with you forever, keep it then, don't give a share to anyone. But where you're not the master and hold it not by right, but by the gift of fortune, Father, don't begrudge a share of this to anyone. For fortune may take all from you and hand it on perhaps to someone less deserving than you. And so I say that all the time you have it, Father, you should use it generously to help all men through your means enrich as many as you can. And such deeds will live. And if a uh, chance to fall or if you chance to fall yourself sometime, you will receive a fair return from them. Far better, Father, is a friend you see than hidden treasure buried underground, which mm, I just think is <laughs> fantastic. And once again, lines up pretty well with the theme in that verse of Ecclesiastes, of, of sharing your wealth, not only to help others, but because if you yourself fall on hard times, those you are generous with will have a greater propensity to be generous back to you. Oh, yeah. And what good is money going to do for you in the grave? What? Oh, yeah. Who is it that made that uh, song? Uh, he's the richest man in the cemetery, but he never really did raise a family. Oh, is that the? I want to say coin? it's coin. Coin, yeah, yeah coin. Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, it's accurate. If you put all your time into making the money and not investing in others, it mm. doesn't even have to be a uh, family, like a atomic family, mm. but just in family people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I actually I didn't know that I knew the song. I didn't know what the lyric was until just now when you said it, and I'm really I'm really glad you got about it. <laughs> that fit really well. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Fun fact: Nathan and I had tickets to see Coin, and then COVID canceled that show. Yes. <laughs> man. Yeah. Maybe one of these days. Maybe one of these days. Maybe one of them. Maybe when we're rich off of this podcast, but not too rich because we're going to share our wealth. Yes. With some more tickets. With coin. Oh, with coin. I mean, with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was that was a really good lyric. I'm really good. I'm really glad or happy you brought that up. <laughs> yes, and once again, I know it's a lot of reading, but I think it is really cool to see these similarities between Ecclesiastes and ancient Greek comedies because it's just a new. Uh, uh, way of viewing Ecclesiastes that I don't think tip, uh, people typically think of. Like, oh, yeah. Ecclesiastes and comedy. You know, you don't think <laughs> of it. But the last verse I want to read and compare uh, with Menander before moving on is Ecclesiastes 5.12. So let me hop on over to that real fast. <laughs> and that says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. And so you get this, uh, this idea that, um, I guess, the quote-unquote, a, a poor man will rest easier than a rich man. 
which I don't know if Menander would agree with that completely, but he does as like, he takes the part as, as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. He does take that idea and he has a, a like a conversation, a little discourse that uh, helps uh, unpack that a little more. And, he, and this is from a play called The Liar Player and like not L-I-A-R, but L-Y-E-R, the instrument, the liar player says, rich people who never need to raise a loan. I used to think their nights weren't fraught with sighs, tossing up and down in cries of deep distress. I thought their sleep was sweet and gentle. This, though, and the this that he's talking about is the nights being fraught with sighs, tossing up and down in cries of deep distress. This, though, I believe to be a private misery of the poor. But now I see that so-called uh, knobs as rich as you have troubles just like us. And so can pain and life be brothers? Pain may haunt a life of luxury, sit by a life of fame, and grow old inside a life of need. No man on earth has lived without some pain. Mm. Yes. And I think, once again, that, is, that lines up pretty well with that, the, the theme of that verse in Ecclesiastes, which is really cool to see. So specifically, that verse in Ecclesiastes... Uh, so I, I think I'm reading a different version than you, but yes, I, I forgot to say I brought in the wrong Bible and I didn't oh. want to even get it and waste some time. I am yeah. reading out of the NIV again. Today. NIV, very nice. But uh, sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much. But the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. Which mm. how how was it worded in yours? But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Yeah. So instantly, what was coming to mind is there is an interview of Elon Musk. They got really big where he was talking about where he sleeps in the different factories that he mm -hmm. runs and how there's a area in the Tesla uh, Motors company that he sleeps every time that he visits. And it's really, yeah, just because oh, wow. like he's constantly traveling and um, yeah, there is very little rest for that level of rich because mm -hmm. everything is about, you know, hustle culture and the grind as Bitcoiners would say. As uh, Instagram um influencers will tell you yeah but uh that idea is very accurate like it's hard to okay i say it's very accurate from what i know of that culture is very yeah. accurate yeah. <laughs> um you're not a billionaire no my my net worth has never been with that many zeros um my net worth is what ten dollars <laughs> yeah i think the amount of student loans i have probably yeah. have uh knocked it to being a lower net worth i mean uh, yeah my net worth is in the negative <laughs> yeah yeah uh capitalism gotta love it or do <laughs> i think we, we talked about capitalism a little bit in one of our episodes i want to say we did so refer, refer back to that episode <laughs> go back and listen yeah. to it go back and listen to episode two which I think is where we talked about it. I think that was it. Yeah, that was it. Episode three, too. Listen to all of the episodes. Yeah, just again just and again. Refresher. Be just be obsessive about it, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So those were some similarities between uh, Ecclesiastes and the Greek playwright Menander, and I want to move on to the next Greek playwright. Uh, named Aristophanes, who was the great playwright of the era of comedy known as old comedy, so before Menander. And these were comedies written uh, around the 5th century BCE uh, in Athens. And he was around the time of uh, 
a rough date of 445 to 375 BCE. And he wrote plays uh, that attacked like heads of states and that attacked uh, the destructiveness and the stupidity of war. And so uh, very hot button issues of the time. He did not pull his punches in his plays. But yeah, now I want to talk about some similarities between Aristophanes and the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but first off, so uh, in Aristophanes, a repeated comic device that we see him using is him taking someone who in no way belongs to uh, like the assembly of Athenian citizens or like the Ecclesia or Ecclesia. And he writes them as the protagonists engaging in deliberations in the ecclesias or in the ecclesia. In other words, he is moving up like the quote unquote less desirable citizens up in status to the ecclesia. And we see that in plays such as Clouds. And this quote is on being someone on being delighted in, partake, or in partaking in the ecclesia. He says, my soul has taken flight at the sound of their voice and now seeks to split hairs, prattle narrowly about smoke and meet arguments with counter argument, puncturing a point with appointment. And wasps, the same idea. He writes, just as I was nodding off, I dreamed that the sheep were meeting in the assembly on the pinks, which is just where it was like the, the location of the assembly, wearing cheap jackets and carrying walking sticks. And then in a play called The Assembly Woman, uh, which uh, that's a, a, uh, an entire play uh, in which the women of the city um, rise up in ranks and uh, they reign over its governance or they govern the city. So back in that time, quote unquote, someone less than desirable moving up in rank into a higher position in the, the assembly or the ecclesia. And so in Ecclesiastes then, we find that the author or Kohelet takes a king and morphs him into an assembly man, which Kohelet means like teacher of the assembly or like one who teaches the public. Um, and so this technically would have been a step down from king to assembly, but nonetheless, the concept remains the same of someone outside of the assembly being brought into the assembly as uh, one who partakes in the assembly. So that's one similarity between uh, Ecclesiastes and Aristophanes. Now I'm gonna read some verses again, like I do with Menander and then read some excerpts from the play. And as you can tell from my show notes, I got really tired of typing <laughs> word, word for word the excerpts from a play. So I'm just gonna, I don't know why I killed my Bible. I, I still need my Bible. So I'm just going to read it from the book I have uh, from the plays itself. But let me get to Ecclesiastes real fast. All right. And if you want, I can read the Ecclesiastes and you can read the section from the play. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Because um, I've got that open right in front of me. So uh, Ecclesiastes 10.8, while he's finding the play, it yep. says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a snake. So remember, don't break through walls. And don't be bitten by snakes. Yep. Um, ignore Jim Morrison. Do not break through to the other well, side. Don't, do not break through the other side. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> Aristophanes, then he takes this idea of like mishaps occurring in situations like that. And he actually relishes in that. He loves that. And so he writes in a play called, um, once again, my pronunciation will be very important, probably. But are, are, are Icar Icarnians, Icarnians, something like that. 
May I yet see him hungry for a squid, and may it lie grilled and sizzling on the by the shore and make port safely at his table. And then, when he's about to grab it, may a dog snap it up and run away with it. And that's one curse for him. And here's another to happen to him in the night. As he walks home shivering after galloping his horse, I hope some drunkard, mad Orestes, knocks him on the head. And when he wants to grab a stone, I hope in the darkness he grabs in his hand a fresh shat turd and holding that glittering missile, let him charge at his foe, then miss him and hit uh, Cretinius. There we go. It was beautiful. Thank you. I, I didn't write it, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you read it. That matters. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, the next verse that I have up there is eight, chapter eight, verse 15, which is just like the recommendation of Kohelet, um, of him recommending to enjoy the simple pleasures of eating and drinking. So if you wanted to read that one real fast. Yeah, it says, so I commend enjoyment for there is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and enjoy themselves for this will go with them uh, in their toil through the days of the life that God gives them under the sun. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And so the there's a character just called the chorus leader in the same play that I just read, the Acarnians. And he kind of he refers to this formula again of just enjoying just the simple things in life. And he says, the more I kept inviting him to drink and recline and take this cup of fellowship, the more he kept setting our vine props of fire and violently spilling the wine from our vines. And so uh, just the idea of drinking, reclining, and taking the cup of fellowship, enjoying the simple things in life. Now, there's another play, and this one's a, uh, just a little bit more crass, but it still, still gets the point. And a play called Peace, the character, he has a, uh, the character saying, here comes the song of uh, Datus, I think, which once upon a time he used to sing while masturbating of an afternoon. How happy, how pleasured, how bubbly I feel. Yeah, a little crass, but nonetheless, it's that theme of just enjoying the simple pleasures because there's there's just nothing better for man to do but to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. <laughs> so. I was not ready for that. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't have it in the show notes. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I may have done one of those <laughs> movements when you said it. Um <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so yes, there's that one. Um, if you wanted to read Ecclesiastes one seven. Yeah, one seven says, "All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow." Yes. Thank you. And so we find an echo of this in a play called Clouds, when Aristophanes writes, "If the sea grows no bigger, even though rivers flow into it." Where do you get off looking to make your money grow bigger? Mm. Yeah. So that theme again, very similar, I think. Indeed. And then Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from one person's envy of another. That also is vanity and chasing after the wind. Yes. And then in a play called Wealth, we find another echo or something else that matches this opinion. When he writes, there's no trace of goodness in anyone. The lust for profit rules the world. And yes, it's, it's, I'm, it's coming back to me now. I believe we did. No, this, that was episode three. We talked about that, I think. That was episode three. Mm, I, I think believe we so. Talked about that. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we, we actually unpacked that verse, I think, a little bit in episode three. So if you wanted to go back and listen to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Ecclesiastes 5.11, uh, 
says, when goods increase, those who eat them increase. Uh, and what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Yes. And so once again, from the play called Wealth, uh, we have another echo or, sim or similarity and uh, when Aristophanes writes, friends are trouble if they're the sort who suddenly materialize when you're successful. So another, another great line, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then now I've got a lot to read. Ooh. Yeah, <clears throat> this is your moment. So Ecclesiastes 7.15 says, In my vain life, I have seen everything. There are righteous people who perish in their righteousness, and there are wicked people who prolong their life in their evil doing. Um, Ecclesiastes 8.14 says, There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people who are treated according to the conduct of the wicked, and there are wicked people who are treated according to the conduct of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And then 9 verse 1 says, All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity. Yes. So this whole concept of uh, Kohelet complaining about uh, the divine giving to the wicked rewards that should go to the righteous and the righteous getting what should go to the wicked. Right. So that, that complaint, we find another echo once again in the play in the play called Wealth, which is a great play. I think anyone should read it. But he writes, just consider the current state of our human existence. Who wouldn't think it's madness or even divine malevolence? It's a fact that many people are wealthy despite being scoundrels who have amassed it unjustly, while a good many worthy people fear badly and go hungry and spend most of their time in your company. Mm. So once again, I think uh, those themes and those writings line up quite well, almost eerily well. So... Yeah. That was, that's kind of the end of the comparisons. Um, Aristophanes and Menander are like the two foremost uh, uh, comedic writers of the ancient Greek world. But I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that the, the author of Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, that they were like a comedic playwright for the Athenian theater. But I think these similarities can change the way that we view um, like when he writes words of pleasure found in, in 1210. I think they can add a little nuance to that pleasure there. But overall, in, in doing this exercise or just in, in reading these similarities, I just I really want to get across that it's important not to stuff Ecclesiastes into a box. Um, because if there's just one book of the Bible that goes against the grain of what we want it to do, that's going to be the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah. Right. So that's that's really the big takeaway is just don't try to stuff Ecclesiastes into a box because it's just going to break out of it and just defy all of our expectations. But also, even in the midst of pessimism or nihilism or skepticism or, or cynicism, um, and I actually don't really believe Kohelet to be all that nihilistic. It sounds it, but I don't think he's really all that nihilistic. But maybe Kohelet is just trying to say that life is so absurd that the happenings of life scrape against like the foundations of logic so greatly that it's almost comedic, right? And I think maybe that, that could be a good way to, to view that or to phrase that. Oh yeah. And if, if Proverbs is supposedly the book that shows how Yahweh's embedded moral, moral order is supposed to play out in the real world, Ecclesiastes is the opposite and kind of says, yeah, this is what life should be. This is what you're reading in life. This is how it should go, but it's not like that. It's all an affront to logic. It's all an affront to reason. It's all Hevel, and it's kind of funny. 
wow, it just tied all together. Yeah. It's called heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a beautiful way to put it, uh, the comparison of Proverbs to Ecclesiastes, what life should be and then what it actually is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that happens all too often is that we uh, we get into this comparison of this is exactly what life is supposed to be like. Yeah. And if it's not lining up with that, then, well, we're looking at it wrong. Yeah. And that's not how you're supposed to interpret scripture of the that, you know, I, yeah. I lost where I was saying in there. So I might. No, I like that. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, I know everyone, everyone says Ecclesiastes is just the voice of someone who just hates life, has this terrible, terrible outlook on what life is. But I think overall, I mean, once you get, you read it all the way through, I think you, you can come to the, the conclusion that the author of Ecclesiastes does appreciate life just for its little things. Cause in the end, that's really, that's what matters. I mean, you can't take wealth with you. Like we said, you can't take food. You can't take, you know, excess to the grave with you. Yeah. So just enjoy what you have, you know? Yeah, for sure. And just lay back and just life, laugh, laugh at the absurd, uh, the absurdities of life. I don't live, know. laugh, and love. Live, laugh, live, laugh, and love. Oh my land. You just redeemed that, that saying. In my, that <laughs> you just redeemed that phrase. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> All right, if there's one takeaway from Ecclesiastes, it's live, laugh, love. Oh no. <laughs> Your kitchen is accurate. <laughs> I know this this series on Ecclesiastes seemed kind of sporadic, but you know what? I don't care because I like what we, we talked about. <laughs> yeah, I think it was good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you guys enjoyed this episode, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Um, yeah. And thank you, Nathan, for hosting that and everything. And uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to get into our next episode in the series. Our next, um, I think we're, we're sticking with the wisdom literature yeah. for a while, right? Yep. Um, I think before we get into like the next series, which I think is Job, right? Are we going to, we're going to jump Yeah, I believe that? it is Job. We're just going to do a little episode that we're going to find fun, but I'm not going to yeah. tell what it is yet. Yeah, because we need to uh, get stuff hammered out and yeah. scheduled. Yes. But yeah, so we're going to have one episode after this that's not tied to the wisdom literature, I guess per se. It might be. I don't, I don't Well, I just meant like with li wisdom literature in general. I don't know if what oh, we're going to yeah. talk about has any bearing on the wisdom literature. But we'll see. We're going to have that episode and then we're going to go into Job. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're in. Um, the show notes will be in the description on YouTube, or if you go to our website, Bonsai Theology, um, then you can find it in the show notes of the podcast posted there. So, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. And if you have any questions or comments, then uh, you can write to us at contact at Bonsai Theology. And I, I think that covers the yeah, basis. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good one, everyone. And uh, rest well. See you around. Yeah. Bye. Love, love, love. Bye. Ha <laughs> ha.